Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through Chinese TV shows. This is Kathy, and this is Karen. Today we will discuss episode thirty-four of Hou Gong Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. The drama is currently available on YouTube for those of you who want to follow along. If you are new to the podcast and have no idea of what's going on, please start with our intro to the podcast and intro to the drama episodes. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at chasingdramaspodcast@gmail.com. You know, it's funny because we watch through the drama and think, eh, maybe we can combine some episodes, or that there's not a whole lot to discuss. But then, as we start the analysis and think through things more thoroughly, we end up with a lot to talk about. And hooray! Today we are finally past the halfway point of this drama. It took a while, but we made it. A couple of you guys have、uh, reached out to us already, but please consider what are the dramas that you would want us to discuss next for this podcast. We have definitely watched quite a few dramas. We have been actively thinking about what. Is the next drama for us? Which time period? But let us know if you have thoughts. We can also send out a poll when we're closer to the end. Let's get started. At the end of the previous episode, Jin Huan was thoroughly humiliated at the hands of Fu Cha Guiren and Qi Fei. Before this, she was still in a general funk due to her miscarriage. Will this incident finally pull her out of it? Let's find out. Jin Huan orders her servants to find some butterflies for her. They're like, "Why?" But they agree. It's around fall, so it's pretty tough to find butterflies. Huan Bi, Jin Huan's half sister or maid, asks the handsome and charming Seventeenth Prince for help, since they both think that these butterflies will cheer her up. We start the episode with Jin Huan admiring the butterflies that have been collected. She tells her servants to exchange any clothing for more firewood or coal. She also has them make a special silk cloak and provide fresh flowers for the butterflies. What is she planning? Elsewhere, we see the formerly very powerful Nianfei now resigned to writing a confession to the emperor recounting her misdemeanors. It has been months since she has fallen out of favor, and she still hasn't seen the emperor. She's desperate. The emperor reads the letter, but still pushes off seeing her. He says that he hasn't even seen Jin Huan. Why would he see Nianfei, who contributed to Jin Huan's miscarriage? An Lingrong, who is next to him, smiles smugly. She thinks both of them are in the past. By now, Jin Huan is finally prepared for battle. She just needs an opportunity, but even she acknowledges that she must regain favor before Nian Fei. I really like her makeup and hair today. It's more regal and lavish than we normally see her, and very clean, I would say. A while passes, and it's time for another New Year's palace celebration. There are few ladies missing in attendance, notably Jin Huan, Cao Guiren, and Shen Meizhuang. The news that Shen Meizhuang is late is surprising since she's rarely tardy. But just then, Shen Meizhuang, best friends with Jin Huan, arrives. Shen Meizhuang apologizes 
and says that she was admiring the plum blossoms out in the garden, specifically Yi Mei Yuan. This is the plum blossom garden where the emperor first came upon Jin Huan. It must be now years ago. This piques the emperor's interest and says that he also wants to go admire these flowers. Obviously, the empress needs to see what's going on as well, so she requests that the entire party join too on this trip. Jin Huan's grand plan begins to unfold. Jin Huan is in the garden waiting for them. She is kneeling on the ground. That is quite a commitment since it is wintertime and there's snow everywhere. Her maid, Jin Xi, hurriedly opens the jar of butterflies, which we shall note are still alive, and hides them in Jin Huan's cloak. Once secured, Jin Huan begins to pray for the emperor's health, forgiveness for not keeping the baby, etc. I'm sure she can hear the emperor approaching, well, everyone approaching, and she's putting on this great show. The emperor calls out to her for her to turn around, but she doesn't. She says, don't come near me. My socks are wet. The emperor is stunned at her words. This is exactly what she said the first time they met. He immediately reaches out to her, but she doesn't want to go with him just yet. She stands up and turns around. Dun dun dun! In a flurry, the butterflies start fluttering around. Everyone is amazed. How can there be butterflies, especially this time of year? Jin Huan replies, Oh, I don't know. It is a wonderful sight to behold. The emperor is again stunned. He says, Look, even the butterflies have heard your prayers. He immediately takes off his cloak and puts it on her. He's smitten once again. Ugh. The empress, seeing this development, immediately butts in. She says, I'm so happy for Wan Pin. She's been sick these past few months. An Lingrong, not wanting to be left behind, also chimes in. She says, I've been hoping and praying that my dear sister and the emperor will resolve their issues. Oh, oh my gosh. The emperor immediately waves it away and says, we've never had any issues. To which Jin Huan agrees. The emperor immediately walks away with Jin Huan, not even glancing at anyone else. Anlingrong, you are such a little... Ugh. You clearly just wanted to say that to like get in the good graces of people, but no one's having it. Finally, after several episodes Ooh. of sulking, she is back in action. Yay! It only took, you know, some slaps to the face to get her through this. <laughs> exactly. Let's take a second to discuss this very quickly. I do not believe for a second that anyone in the Imperial Harem thought that these butterflies were a coincidence, at least not the smart ones in the palace. Even the Emperor's head eunuch says to Jin Huan's main maid that they're probably now really happy because they're back on top. It's also funny that the 17th Prince is part of the group that comes to look at what's going on. I never paid much attention before, but I can't help but wonder how he feels knowing that this is what those butterflies that he helped procure are being used for. This development also does not sit well with many ladies in the Imperial Harem. First and foremost, Qi Fei and Fu Cha Guiren. They just humiliated her. What do they do now? Well, sucks to be you. <laughs> it's night. Jin Huan reflects on her changes these past few months. She laughs at her own naivete. 
How could she have believed that the emperor was the one? True love doesn't exist in the imperial palace. It seems like she's waiting for someone, the emperor. Right on cue, the emperor arrives at her palace. He wants to see her. However, she gives him all these excuses, such as she's still recovering from her illness, it's late, you still have court matters. She just won't let him in. Dejected, the emperor doesn't summon any other concubine, but instead decides to go hang out with his brother, the 17th prince. The brothers have a heart-to-heart about the situation. It must be pretty tough on the 17th prince. He did go and catch those butterflies for her. But he does what any good brother is supposed to do and tries to nudge them back together. The emperor is still not sure where those butterflies came from, and the next line he says is key. He doesn't care where or how these butterflies showed up, but as long as Jin Huan is willing to put effort into him, that's all that matters. I think he, after some reflection, has figured out that the butterflies were not a coincidence, but the fact that Jin Huan schemed for this scene to happen means that she cares. This is all that he cares about. Talk about um, his male pride. That's why he's smitten again. The next scene is hilarious. The emperor's all by himself on his bed, but he just can't sleep. (laughs) This is pretty cute. It's another day with another greeting, but today it's a little bit different. The emperor arrives in full court regalia, which is quite rare. There must be something important going on. I love the little detail here. Mianfei is still not allowed to these greetings, so her seat is still empty. When the emperor arrives, the servants take Nianfei's seat for the empress to sit because the emperor, obviously, will take the empress's seat at the head of the room. The emperor is extremely solemn. An ambassador from the Zhengur Khanate came to court requesting a political marriage between the empires. We did some research on this Khanate. It's a very distant Mongolian empire that is nomadic, that resided to the far northwest of modern-day China. There's a section of Xinjiang province where this Khanate used to be. This Khanate has its origins from descendants of Genghis Khan and at this time was ruled by another Khan. In the 17th century, this group was established after much infighting amongst various individuals seeking to rule, and for much of the Qing dynasty was a nuisance. Spoiler alert! This empire collapsed in the 18th century under the rule of the current emperor Yongzheng's son, Emperor Qianlong. At this point in the drama, or at this point in time in the drama, the Zanggar Khanate, or the Zhengar Khanate, is still pretty powerful and wants, you know, basically demands the hands of a princess for their Khan in order to establish goodwill between the two empires. There has been a history of dynasties throughout China agreeing to marrying princesses off to faraway places in order to secure ties, so this isn't new at all. In Chinese, this is called Qin. The empress suggests selecting a girl from one of the noble families, gifting her a title of Gongzhu, which is a princess title, and be done with it. There is one snag, though, that the emperor brings up. The Zanggars only want a direct daughter of the emperor. This is the equivalent of an earthquake to Cao Guiren. She is the ally to the now demoted Nianfei, and she is the only concubine 
in the imperial harem with a daughter, but her daughter is still very young. She can't be sent away for marriage. The emperor acknowledges this. He says, if your daughter was of age, I would not have had any hesitation. Ooh, that's really tough. As of right now, the emperor says, waging a war with the Zungars is not politically advantageous. Nianfei's brother just won significant battles in the Northwest. There's not enough silver in the treasury to fund another war. A political marriage is the most advantageous route. As to whom should be selected, the empress has an idea. What about Zhao Gui Gongzhu? Or Princess Zhao Gui? She's the youngest daughter of Emperor Kangxi, so she is the current emperor's sister. She recently just reached marriageable age. The empress notes that the Dzungars only wanted a daughter of the emperor. They didn't specify which emperor. Honestly, I think this is quite ingenious on the empress's part. The emperor does some basic pushback, saying she's my sister, she's so young, blah, blah. The empress goes along. She says, you've already put your heart and soul into the empire. The princess is doing her duty. She's only your sister, and her mother was only a noble lady. Being married to a Khan is much higher and much more advantageous and prestigious than whoever she would have married otherwise. The emperor reluctantly agrees. I can't tell if this was like on his mind already, but he doesn't really have like that much pushback before he agrees to this, this strategy. With the marriage candidate settled, it is up to the empress to manage the wedding preparations. Suddenly, though, Jin Huan volunteers Cao Guren to help with additional wedding preparations. The emperor agrees, but what does Cao Guren think about this? This is also kind of out of left field because Jin Huan was not talking at all during the entire exchange and suddenly just asks Cao Guren to help. We find out later that this marriage is not going to be a happy one. The princess who is going to be sent off and married is in her prime. However, the Khan is in his 60s, old enough to be her grandfather. There's really no way this marriage will be a good one. The reality is that this is just a political marriage done to avoid war. The drama doesn't explicitly mention why Jin Huan volunteers Cao Guirin to work on the wedding preparations, but it's abundantly clear that Jin Huan wants Cao Guirin to see what could befall her own daughter in the future. Her daughter, Wen Yi Gongzhu, was able to escape this fate this time since she's so young. But next time, it might be she who is sent away. Jin Huan is probably thinking, or at least nudging Cao Guiren into considering who she should ally herself with in the future in order to protect her daughter from such a fate. That's my opinion, at least. After this scene, the empress summons An Lingrong to reprimand her for her recent inability to win favor from the emperor. The empress says that when Jin Huan isn't around, it's easy for An Lingrong to get favor. But the moment Jin Huan is back, An Lingrong is completely forgotten. This has to change. So the empress doles out some, frankly, good advice. She says, make friends with Jin Huan. That way, everyone wins. It's another evening, and the emperor and Jin Huan are playing Chinese Go. 
However, Chen Huan does not have the Emperor's Day again. He's disappointed, of course, but surprisingly agrees and leaves for the night. Chen Huan's maid asks why. They worked so hard to get his attention again. Why not have him stay over? Chen Huan goes on to describe a story about Han Wu Di, a very famous emperor during the Han Dynasty, and his concubine Li Furen. We'll discuss this more in the analysis of this episode later on. At a high level, Li Furen was a favored concubine who, on her deathbed, refused to let the Han Emperor see her no matter how much he wanted to. This was to make sure that she left an impression on him. This is, I guess, an old tactic. The more you resist, the more you want. Jin Huan wants to make sure the emperor builds that want and lust for her. There's not much else that is of note for the remainder of the episode. Nian Fei comes to pay respects to the emperor and the rest of the imperial harem one day at a court greeting. Initially, she was refused at the door, but the emperor decides to let her in. She says her piece, and the emperor shows some kindness towards her. After this scene, both Jin Huan and Shen Mei Zhuang discuss how it seems like Nian Fei will soon regain favor. There's not much that can be done, especially since Nian Fei's brother is still very powerful. The episode ends with Jin Huan wanting to chat with Cao Guiyuan. The next episode will be quite fun. The other important item to discuss briefly is that Jin Huan is clearly no longer friends with An Lingrong anymore. Jin Huan is very cold and distant towards An Lingrong. Jin Huan is annoyed at An Lingrong, especially over An Lingrong's uh, actions or inactions during her period of sickness, which is fair. There are some times when An Lingrong tried to talk to Jin Huan and Jin Huan just totally ignores her. Alrighty, that was a fun episode. In no time, Jin Huan is back on top. She has bottled up her grief and learned that favor from the emperor is what is needed in order to survive in the palace and to seek revenge. On to the analysis. What do we have to discuss? Let's go back to the discussion about princesses being selected as a political sacrifice to this khanate. This discussion is interesting because it brings up a very a cool distinction between the different princess titles. At first, the empress Huang Hou says, why not just have a woman from the royal family, she doesn't have to be a direct daughter of the emperor, be selected to wed. Give her the title of He Shuo Gongzhu, and that's it. The discussion ends up with the emperor's young sister being selected to be married off, and they give this sister, who is already a He Shuo Gongzhu, the title of what is the difference? First of all, I also want to take a second to say that I completely blame Huan Zhu Gege, or Pearl Princess, one of the OGs of Chinese dramas and an absolute classic that Kathy and I binge watched throughout our childhood for giving us the wrong impression that the title of princess during the Qing Dynasty was called Gege. That is absolutely false for the daughter of the emperor to be called that. They are still just called Gongzhu or princess. The title of Gege is left for other royal family members. 
Sorry, that was definitely a side note. I just wanted to make sure that was clear. I think Huanju Gugu or Pearl Princess, because it was so popular, destroyed or uh, heavily misguided many, many, many people into believing that the princess or the daughter of the emperor is supposed to be having a title of Gugu. Anyways, as it turns out, as with everything else in the royal family, there are specific titles for different levels of princesses or daughters of the emperor. Gongju is the title for a daughter of the emperor that is not by the empress, or what you would say she is a Shu Chu Gongju. Gulun Gongju is the title for a daughter of the emperor that is by the empress. So there is a very clear distinction in Chinese culture, and we will discuss this in the future, being the direct daughter from the main wife or the direct son or daughter of the main wife is very clearly distinguished from being a son or daughter of a concubine. I've heard these terms and titles before, but definitely did not know much about what the distinction was before doing research for this episode. It's funny because I'm reading up on the different princesses and let's just say, dang, because of this imperial harem system where there are lots of wives and in turn lots of children, there are so many princes and princesses. I honestly have no idea how people kept up with all of the relations. This is very different from Western society, I would assume. But the act of sending princesses off for marriage is not new. Many beautiful and sad stories depict this harsh reality. In this drama, the princess that is sent off to marriage is actually made up. So is the princess that Xingfei mentions as precedence, Lan Qi. I don't know where Lan Qi, this name came from. There was actually a drama about this Lan Qi Gongzhu that got sent off. So I don't know if this current drama, Empresses in the Palace, referenced another drama to make this precedent up. However, it is true that throughout the Qing dynasty, daughters from the royal family were commonly married off to different princes throughout the empire. When Zhen Huan and Shen Meizhuang leave the empress's palace, Zhen Huan states two lines from a poem lamenting the sad truth of affairs. The poem is called Dai Tonghui Gongzhu Yi. The full poem goes like this. It was written by the Tang Dynasty poet Li Shanfu. My translation of the poem is as such. Golden accessories adorn her hair. She departs her homeland, but does the emperor even care? If sending one woman can guarantee peace and stability of an empire, it is unknown when or if we should use generals. A pretty grim but accurate take on the status of women. Hexin has usually been used as an appeasement strategy. In this patriarchal society, this was the norm. This poem is specifically about Princess Tsonghui. She was actually not from the imperial family. Her father was a general, and her name and birth are not known. 
She had an older sister who already married the Uyghur Kagan, but when she died, the Kagan demanded her hand in marriage. I'll say his name in Mandarin, the Kagan, Mo Yu Kehan. I don't know how to pronounce it in English. Um, Wikipedia says Bogu Kagan. We're not going to try to butcher that, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this princess, or this other daughter, was granted the title of princess upon her marriage to the Kagan in 769 AD. The Khan was killed in 780 AD, and there are no more records of the princess after that. Although her daughter plotted and succeeded in killing a later Kagan, but she also met a pretty bloody death. So <laughs> that's pretty interesting. So again, this poem is kind of lamenting the fact that this woman was sent off to marry a far-off Kagan for uh, the benefit of the imperial of the empire. Jin Huan is using that poem to reflect and show how similar this current situation is. The last piece I want to discuss is about the emperor from the Han Dynasty and his consort, Consort Li. I mentioned this earlier, but Jin Huan pushed the emperor away out of her palace and prevents him from staying over. When she does so, she explains this story of Emperor Han Wu Di and his concubine. What is this about exactly? This Han emperor is the very famous Han Wu Di. He's the seventh emperor of the Han dynasty and was alive around 156 BC to 87 BC. He's very famous because he expanded China's borders at that time by fighting the Huns. He established the Silk Road and changed many policies in China. The title that he uses, Wu, means military or might or fighting. It's the same word that you use for martial arts uh, or Wu Shu. So you can see that this emperor was very military focused. His stories are well known in history and there are plenty of Chinese dramas that depict his life. One of our first introductions to this emperor is in the drama Da Han Tianzi or The Prince of the Han Dynasty that came out, wow, 20 years ago. That was one of the dramas, another one of the dramas that Kathy and I absolutely obsessed over when we were young. This Han Wu Di is famous not only for his military and political exploits, but for his imperial harem as well. There are many stories about his empresses that are subject to plays, stories, books, and of course, TV dramas we enjoy today. The concubine that Jin Huan refers to is the beautiful and famous Li Furin, or concubine Li. I personally, from a history perspective, do not like her, because she supplants the wonderful empress that was in favor. You can blame TV dramas that portray this wonderful empress really well. Plus, the more I read about Han Wu Di, this Han emperor, the more I realize that while he was a great emperor from a military and political perspective, he was probably not too great to women, discarding them for newer, younger versions whenever he got the chance. The whole reason this concubine Li, or Li Furin, came to power is because she's young and beautiful. At this point in time, the emperor, this Han Wu Di, is a middle-aged man and became smitten with her beauty almost immediately. This concubine Li was well known for her beauty and is depicted this way in the history books. 
Unfortunately, she fell ill. She, on her deathbed, refused to let the emperor see her, no matter how much he wanted to. The reason is that she didn't want to see her faded beauty now that she is sick and weak. Li Furin wanted the emperor to always remember her at her prime. She passed away not long after. True to her prediction and what I could call scheme, the emperor remembers her fondly. Through this, it's clear that this concubine Li is acutely aware of what she brings to the table in this relationship and what her ultimate value is. For me, this level of self-awareness is quite rare in anyone, so I must commend her, even though, again, I don't like her a whole lot. Jin Huan recounts the story in order to explain why she pushes her emperor away. It's to establish this want. As the idiom in English goes, distance makes the heart grow fonder. Um, I think it's more like you always want what you can't have. So that kind of adds to that as well. Well, that is that for our explanation and discussion of Empresses in the Palace, episode 34. We hope you all enjoyed listening to our ramblings. If you have any comments or questions or feedback, as always, email us at chasingdramaspodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to having you join us in our next episode.